Welcome to this month's edition of Pulp Nonfiction, the paper and packaging podcast. I'm Greg Johnson with Sustana Fiber, and I'm here once again with my co-host, Dr. Marta Pazos. So Marta, can you believe how many more brands these days are considering making the switch from plastic and glass bottles to paper bottles? Hi, Greg. Um, you know what? I actually saw for the first time uh, these paper bottles once uh, several years ago when I was at the grocery store, and I was very, very curious about how these things work because, you know, we know that paper is not exactly great to hold liquids. Uh, I figured that out because I, I bought the product and I completely ripped it apart, but I still have some questions regarding recycling and also some other factors that affect environmental impact. So let's jump into it. Exactly, Marta. And what better way to explore some of these issues than with our guest today, Julie Corbett, the founder of Ecological Brands. If you've shopped at Whole Foods, you've probably seen Ecologic Brands brown paper bottles that Unilever's seventh generation uses to house their liquid detergent since 2011. Based in Northern California, Ecologic Brands uses a proprietary box-to-bottle process that essentially converts recycled cardboard and newsprint into what they call paper eco-bottles. Julie, it's great speaking with you again. We're grateful for your time today, and thank you for visiting with us. Hey, Greg. Hey, Marta. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be part of this uh, pulp nonfiction webcast of yours. I really am very honored to be part of it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to you, Julie. So tell us a little bit about how you came uh, with the idea of this company, how Ecologic Brands came about. Tell us. So when I was walking down the aisle of the supermarket, I was really dumbfounded that I could have thousands of choices when it comes to a single product, like for example, milk. You know, you got lactose-free, you got almond milk, you got soy milk, you got 2%, 1% fat-free. Um, I mean, you know, I could go on. Orange juice is the same thing. But yet when it came to the package uh, that it came in, uh, I almost had no uh, sort of alternatives than what was already pretty much standard fare in the aisle of the supermarket. And I thought to myself, like, how could that be? That is so counter-American, right? Where you choice is sort of defines who we are. And to, to you know, and even organic, you, you like the choices now around natural are, are amazing. You know, the ingredients, we have so many choices, but when it came to packaging, I had none. And that really got me thinking, that's so weird. So the investment uh, professional that I was, I thought there has to be an alternative. Like, it doesn't make sense. Um, and from that moment on spawned sort of this research project that I started professionally um, and then realized really there were no alternatives. Um, that's why the shelves of the supermarket had the same state packaging for, for decades. So that in itself was really kind of was really dumbfounding, even though you look for even smaller startups, you know, the bioplastics were sort of coming on a little bit, but generally, but anyway, I got my first iPhone and uh, I opened it up and it had a molded fiber tray on the inside. And, you know, I'm Canadian. I, 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 my mother grew up in a pulp and paper mill that really provided an economic livelihood to a huge amount 
of uh, its inhabitants. Uh, it was an engine of growth in, in that northern the, the northern Quebec economy, and, and so many paper mills around the world really have sustained many small towns. So I was very attuned to paper as a, an industry, and I've always loved paper, and who doesn't love paper? We're all on this podcast because we do. Um, but the, you know, this paper, I, first I pulled it out, I thought it was plastic, but when as soon as I touched it, I realized it was paper, and it was beautifully molded. So for the first time, I'd seen something that was not folded. Paper normally is a folded structure. So I was really bought into it and thought, how are they making this? And that really led me to thinking, God, if they could mold it now and, and have curves, could we make a bottle out of this? And the rest is history. You know, 2008, I left my investment company and I went down the quest of finding that alternative, that, you know, that, that alternative to plastic. So that is really how I came about uh, the, the founding of Ecologic. Well, that's, that's a great background, Julie. We, we appreciate it. So tell me this, um, what's your definition of sustainability? I actually think it's really easy. It's called simple. Um, sustainability has to be simple because the more complex the processes, the more complicated it is to actually um, have second lives or separate products. So, you know, I think Ecologic really demonstrates a little bit of my vision of what sustainability means, that materials generally in their natural and, and, and sort of mono form um, are far more easy to recover and, and recycle and have better aftermarkets for them than when we start really commingling the world. So, um, you know, if we start thinking in simple terms, I think we're going to have a much easier uh, sort of set of sustainability goals that are going to be achieved. Um, and I think we're starting to see that. I mean, Ecologic really was the first kind of format that had multi-materials, but that worked laminated together and commingled together, that they were in their own right, unique and easily, easily separatable, which then makes it easier for MRFs to, sep to, 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 to sort of sort uh, and then reduces contamination where that the value of that bale of paper or the value of that bale of number one or number two plastic has a higher value because the it's easier to convert it into something else. The, the contaminants really are really the, the, the bane of everybody's ex, is existence and that happens yeah. through commingling. Uh, so sustainability and simple, it, it, you know, is, is the key to, to the long-term success of, of, of building a sustainable packaging future. I like that definition. That makes total sense. Wouldn't you say, Marta? Oh, absolutely. You know, I was thinking when you said that recently, somebody told me, if you want somebody to get something done for you, make sure that you tell them exactly how it, get, it gets done and, and make it simple, right? Because people are not going to figure things out. So that is... Absolutely. I totally agree. And I have to also say that I've never heard it explained in, in those terms. I've been asking so many people what their take on the word sustainability is. And I, I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start, if I may, quoting you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I actually moved recently from, well, I have to stop saying recently, but uh, from New York <laughs> to Atlanta. Um, in And I... I am 
seeing this trend of the the world, you know, in, in a world where we live today, where plastics are in in are being put through the ringer, they are in like the negative spotlight, right? So a lot of companies are going back to those yesteryear materials because those were the ones that were more durable or they are so-called recyclable, right? I have my opinions, a lot of them about them. So when I moved to Atlanta, I came to the realization that actually in this city, because we know recycling is defined by not by the material being possibly recyclable, but if it's collected where you live, right? And 60% of the people must have access to that um, nationally. So in the city of Atlanta, glass is not recyclable. It's not collected and it's not processed. You actually have to take it to a very, you know, a, a specific, a special designated area. You can't put it curbside or, or you know, any other collection, municipality collection method. And I, I keep telling people, uh, stop thinking that glass is going to be the solution because if cities like Atlanta are already taking upon this measure because glass breaks, because glass is heavy, uh, and, and, and honestly, making anything of glass, I, I come from the cosmetics industry where, you know, glass is overly used for perfumes. So you realize that the energy that gets consumed to make a single, uh, a single glass object is humongous. So I'm definitely a fan with this solution. But tell us, I mean, it is, it is light, it is sturdy, but tell us what else is there that will make people sh shift, switch to this paper um, packaging? Well, um, Marta, that is so loaded. <laughs> um, and I wish, you know, it, it's back to simplicity. You know, it's great about glass is that it is a simple material, right? It's, it's, it's sort of silica or sand that's at super high temperatures will convert into a very clear and, and actually very desirable, um, you know, product. I mean, glass is clear, it's beautiful, it shines, it, it protects the product inside. People forget that, right? The role of packaging is to protect the, 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 the product inside so it doesn't grow bacteria, so it's health and it's healthy to consume, uh, that it has a long shelf life, that you don't have to worry about it going bad really quickly. So all those things are really nice about glass. Unfortunately, the way that we now look at the way the world has evolved, let's call it that, with global supply chains all over the place, where not everything is made locally. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm not, I, but it's just the way of the world. People have specialized in what they do best and as they should, right? Um, but the re result is, is that things start getting shipped left and right at long distances. And the problem with glass today, even though it's a great simple um, material, is that you're right, the energy to make glass is, you know, thousands of times more than, you know, paper or plastic or even aluminum. Um, and with the recycling single, so to incentivize recycling in countries like North America, um, we've gone to single stream, right? Everything goes in the same pail. And that happens to, you know, sort of incentivize people to use recycling. But what happens with glass, unfortunately, it does break in shards. 
Um, you know, like dropping a glass on your kitchen floor when it breaks into shards, it's a real problem. It's a problem to clean up. It embeds itself in other other products like that that are highly recyclable, like plastics and cardboard, where all of a sudden the cost of recycling those materials are more complicated because of the embedded shards of glass. So, you know, this is the unintended consequence sometimes of something that's really good is that by going to single stream, you, 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 you have more potential of contamination, which, it, which really increases the cost and mucks up other material. So, you know, as a country, we've made the decision to go single stream. It's what the powers that be have said, this is the best way moving forward to increase recyclability rates. As a result, that makes it harder for glass because it gums things up. And in our factory, I see it. Like we recycle paper just like Greg does, right? We're a paper recycler. And we often see shards of glass stuck and embedded in material. And it, it really, you know, we have human safety. We have workers who deal with materials. So you don't want glass shards flying around and injuring them. And it also grinds things. So in, te in terms of, you know, back to this, this, the vision of the future and, and um, you know, we, we have to have this design for circularity means that, you know, if they could invent a glass jar that really doesn't ever break, it's, the, the glass story is, very, is going to be very different. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, and uh, it, it, it ends up being an unfortunate contaminant to other really positive materials in the waste stream. And that's why a lot of large recyclers are getting rid of glass. And, and I know it's upsetting consumers left and right, uh, but there's two issues. The, the planet is not just dying because of, you know, ocean, ocean plastic or waste in the environment. It's also dying of greenhouse gas emissions. So the footprint around glass is higher than any other material in packaging we see by a lot. Um, and its weight, its, its supply chain is challenging. So, you know, I think paper and plastics, generally aluminums, uh, seem to be more favorable these days, given the new infrastructures that are being put in place. So, but it, it is a nice, I mean, it is a great material from many different perspectives, but unfortunately it's, it's from a, that unintended consequence of, of it's easy to break is really harming everything else in the, in the, in the stream. Sure. That's well said, Julie. And Julie, I know you're, you're really well acquainted with, with our uh, Sustana Fibers recycle pulp and the fact that um, lots of people use our pulp and sustainable packaging for everything from paper cups and carryout containers to bags and even microwavable sleeves. But if you could, um, besides uh, cleaning supplies like Seventh Generations or some of the cosmetic packaging you've provided for L'Oreal, could you tell us a little bit about um, the future in terms of food and beverage packaging and, and what you envision for Ecologic in the next few years? Well, Greg, what's unbelievable about Sustaina is that, you know, one of the things about when you're using materials that have been used already, right, which is PCR, post-consumer recycled content, whether it's paper or plastic, um, you know, it's gone through a pretty dirty chain, right? Think about exactly. your garbage can, your recycling bin, your truck. What Sustaina has done is this food grade paper, recycled paper, which, believe me, is no easy feat. 
to, to get that kind of FDA uh, approval. So the magic pixie dust of Sustaina has made this, this, this recycled paper, uh, uh, you know, pulp, let's call it that, uh, able to be incorporated with food grade uh, products. So um, Ecologic, we are also a recycler of paper, um, but we, the fact that we use it in non-food grade um, applications is because we have that limitation that you have figured out really, really well. Oh, thank so you. as we move into, um, you know, the next phase for us, for sure, will be, you know, the beverage and the food, food, food business, which the standards, of course, and have to be, I mean, we have to produce, we have to protect consumer healthy health and, and safety as the standards start climbing around direct contact with the material, that's where Sustaina really has a competitive advantage because it's easy to do it in virgin. I mean, all virgin paper, of course, can be food grade contact, but if we want to go to this sustainable future and the reuse of materials, Sustaina's technology and, and really taking out the impurities that end up happening through the use of, of, of paper and the disposal and recycling of paper is really a, a very bright, bright star in this new sustainable material world. Well, th thank you for those those compliments. Uh, we really appreciate that. But I, but I should give you a compliment too, Julie. Your company is actually, I believe, the tenth largest recycler in the state of California. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, it's. I think a part of it is is you know we have a good idea and, and a growing and a growing package uh, value chain you know a, 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 a growing package with huge value uh, to a lot of the CPGs that are adopting it, but I think we became so so much bigger is also a byproduct of you know China used to take all of our paper if everybody remembers yeah a couple of years um, ago and we, yeah. And we used to have factories all over the West Coast that used to convert a lot of it and ship it to, to China. And with, when the China sword sort of hit us, a lot of these paper mills ended up closing, <laughs> right? Uh, and all these, all these people who were selling OCC to China now had nowhere to go. And, you know, we, right. were, the, we were, an again, unintended consequence of it sort of helped a small little startup sort of get access to better materials because they weren't being shipped to China anymore and created a domestic demand for it. And in fact, our bottles made out of recycled cardboard are shipped to Europe now. So U.S. paper waste converted into ecologic bottles end up, you know, being sold in other countries. So it's really quite a, an interesting, um, you know, an interesting story. Definitely. Definitely. You know, I, I'm loving to hear that because for once we've gotten a good, you know, a good outcome, a great outcome from from something that has affected us so much, right? Because um, when I was monitoring this, like, head on, it was, oh, now that China is not taking our recyclables, we're going to, like, die buried in our own trash. And, you know, my, my thought right, right off the bat is, how about we utilize all those recycling facilities that you have? that are currently under capacity, right? Like they are running way below what they actually can, can hold in process. So it's good to hear that somebody capitalized on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, look, change it, Band-Aid band -Aid ripping off very quickly the way it did with the China bans on, on you know, import of our waste. Yeah was incredibly devastating to, to so many and people's livelihoods have been affected. So it's not like 
these are not hard hard to sort of stomach, you know, and, and, and not everybody is adaptable depending on what, you know, where you are in the age factor. So these are hard things to do, but you're right though, Marta, at some level, it is, you got to look at it as an opportunity. Yeah. Right. You got to take things. It's not, things are never going to stay you know, to think that things will always stay at a certain you know, level is, is, is no, not a good assumption anymore, right? Things are going to evolve and change. Yep. So you, you're, you, you know, we, we were lucky. I mean, I was really lucky the timing. I mean, we were, you know, you remember Greg, I was one of the first in the industry around yep. sort of the paper bottle. It was not easy. People thought I was a crackpot, you know, crazy bottle lady, whatever they were calling me. Um, and a lot of people didn't buy into the technology. And that's fine. I mean, I, I, I don't begrudge anybody. It's not always easy. People have all other, other visions for things than I did. But I think, you know, it doesn't always just happen on your own. A lot of sets of stars do have to align. And this one specifically aligned well with us. And had Cal Recycle you know, the, the, the big the biggest regulatory environment around recycling in California had not been uh, supportive of a lot of the CapEx that we needed to to sort of divert from landfill is really what they want to do. Uh, you know, I would not be the recycler, you know, of paper. And then J-Bill, the J-Bill acquisition of Ecologic in January, you know, with a much stronger sort of depth around manufacturing and standards and safety and innovation, um, really has propelled us to another level. Um, so it, it, you know, regulations are are hard, like you said, and they they do devastate. But some, and and sometimes more than some. But this this that we're about to go through incredible transformations. So I think you know it's really around how to deal with them now. It, they're not just one-offs it's going to happen more and more so the more adaptive your technology and your mindset is the better off you're going to be yeah absolutely um i think i know the the answer to the next question that i'm going to ask but um a, a little parenthesis first so actually to a comment that you made before uh we have already created a non-breakable glass it's called plastic because actually, you know, the structure-wise is the same. It's just that one is silicon and the other one is carbon. Um, I'm, I am a polymer chemist, just in case you didn't realize so far. But anyway, um, tell us, paper and plastic and why? You can't just say... You can't just say one or the other. You gotta elaborate well, on the one. Well, obviously, paper. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. runs. It runs in my genetic code. I mean, my grandfather worked at the paper mill. All of my mother's brothers worked at the paper mill. I mean, I kind of grew up with the smell of sulfur. You know, I knew we were getting close to my <laughs> my family. My family. Uh, my my grandparents' house, based on how I, I could smell it. You know, within a certain distance. So, absolutely, paper. I, like it's it's really a North American. And, you know, Northern European um, sort of economic booster traditionally. And I'm a big, big believer. It's the, I mean, so easy to recycle if it's not contaminated with or, you know, laminated. So I would say absolutely paper. And I don't know how, what you think, Greg. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, I think we're all kind of like-minded here, especially yeah. when it comes to... Uh, um, the environment. But Julie, let me ask you this as kind of a follow-up question um, to Marta's. Um, when brands are, you know, taking a look and considering alternatives to either 
plastic or glass. What do you sort of pitch to them as the biggest benefit um, to them as well as their consumers um, by using your paper bottles um, from a sustainability perspective? Paper or glass, as those two would be the alternatives? Or plastic, plastic as or well. Plastic, okay. Um, well, I think, you know, look, brands know their consumers better than me. I mean, that's just the way it works. I mean, they, their whole livelihoods and, and, and expertise is around bringing consumers the products that they really want. So I think that that is a given. Um, you know, we're a supporting actor in this whole world. But what is clear in this day is that I knew it was happening. It happened to me, you know, in 2008. Consumers are feeling more pressure. And it's, it's coming from their children. It's coming from what they're seeing in the news. They're somehow associating packaging with some kind of environmental sort of decay. I mean, it's just the way it works. Either it's ocean plastics and the visuals of that, and you know, the media has been really good at sort of highlighting all these fish, fishes in the ocean, driving down the highway, seeing it. And what it's amazing to me, quite frankly, is that you know, climate change is a very political uh, issue, as you know, right? Not everybody thinks about it the same way. But when it comes to waste, it's a uniform visceral reaction. It smells. You take it out out of your kitchen every day. It's a hassle to deal with no matter who you are. So the idea of making that a better story is starting to really, really resonate. And brands are listening. They, they, they know it. They're hearing it. They're hearing it. So when they come to a company like J-Bill and Ecologic, because, you know, we are you know, we offer many different products around the packaging world. You know, it's really a question of what is the market and what are we trying to, to sort of address? And I think the reuse of material. So, Greg, it's the same as you, right? The reuse of material right now is what we know circular models is really important because there's a lot less greenhouse gas when you're reusing something and recycling than extracting it from its virgin form. And that's the same with paper, right? Virgin paper versus recycled paper, a lot less carbon. So, so that, that is really important because trust me, companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, all the large CPGs today have major greenhouse gas reduction, um, you know, goals. Sure. And I, re I really liked your comments, Julie, about the, the waste factor um, and, and the sense that that's really resonating with the uh, consumers. Because I read a statistic recently that said that um, in America, the average person generates about four and a half pounds of waste per day. And about 30% of that waste material is packaging. And, you know, we're all consumers. We go to the store, we have things delivered at home. And uh, they all have to be properly packaged for safety, security, health, and whatnot. But um, I'm glad to see, though, that um, that awareness from what you've seen with your clients is, is increasing as far as packaging and, and what is the best material from a circular economy standpoint. I always say that we need to find a way to glorify waste and to, to convey that waste has a lot of value. And, and also a little comment on something that you mentioned, you know, 
I wish that 10% of plastics used in this country got recycled. The fact that they, they, they arrive to the MRF, in most cases they get processed through the material recovery facility, for those that don't know what MRF is, uh, doesn't mean that they actually get recycled. Uh, the statistics say that it's way lower than that, and now with COVID, much lower than that. What, what do you think that percentage actually is then, Marta? Are we talking more about 5%, 4%? We're or? talking about like 2%. 2%. Yeah. On a good day. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It, it is chilling. It's chilling. Again, it's, you know, in, in something, Julie, that you capitalize on, which is China is closing doors to our waste. A lot of people saw that as detrimental to the business and started a lot of recycling companies started either closing down or, or, or consolidating their, their facilities, which is even which goes against everything that we need to do. Right. I believe that the future of recycling goes more into diversify, make those plants smaller and closer to the material recovery facilities, not yeah. not not larger and farther. Right. Because, again, we're going against uh, the, the, the sustainable model of, of recycling, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, um, quick question. So we know that Ecologic makes uh, bottles. I actually first learned about your company walking on the aisle of a grocery store, <laughs> which is really funny. I saw it. I'm like, what is this? Um, and so you make uh, bottles, containers. What else? What else are you are you making um, uh, with ecologic paper? Well, fiber. It's a good question, Marta. I mean, it, it's just getting to the bottle and to perfecting the bottle. I mean, we've had to improve and iterate. Um, you know, many different versions. I mean, it, it's the the distribution and supply chain is really harsh on packaging, right? So it has to with withstand all of these crazy. Um, different ways of trucking it and pelletizing it, and all the way to all the way to get it to your, you know, to your home. So we've spent a lot of time perfecting the technology. But now that we are there, and and uh, now that with Jabel's acquisition, um, we're starting to look at jars um, and and sort of tubs um, and morphing the technology into different form factors that I think will be in, in, that will compete actually far, par, po possibly far more with glass. Actually, back to your your point about glass, um, you know, if you look at the jar market, it's a very very glass focused market. Mm -hmm. So, um, especially in personal care and and actually in some food as well. So, I think uh, you'll be seeing some of this these these new developments um, coming out uh, soon. We're launching with a a big CPG in January or February. A, a very um, it's a tub that almost has no plastic at all, like ninety. 92% paper, you know, 8% um, non-paper. So with a paper cap and everything else. So that's coming out in the market relatively soon, which I can't wait for. So things there's, I have to say, you know, it was a great technology. We were early in the market, Greg, like, you know, you, you've said, but if you, if we didn't have the backing and, and trust of a, a large global manufacturing powerhouse like J-Bell, I don't think this technology could have really started, the, the, the development couldn't have accelerated because packaging is such a commoditized business and it, the unit volume is so huge and to be able to, you have to deliver on time, you have to have virtual no quality defects. So this, the, 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 the marriage with, with J-Bell is only improving the technology and, and really offering, having it to be much more accessible 
overall across a lot of different categories. Oh, certainly, Julie, and you've done a great job, I think, um, and I know, Marty, you'd agree in just differentiating yourself. Um, It is a commodity business, but you've certainly, I think, separated yourself, you know, from the, the packaging pack, so to speak. But let me let me ask you this, Julie. Just getting into specifics, I know that um, your paper bottle is is basically composed of two parts. You've got a, an outer shell, which is 100% recycled um, paperboard, or I should say, recycled cardboard. Excuse yeah. me, and newsprint. And then you've got the inner liner, which is BPA free. Um, given all that. How would you compare the overall, I'll say, environmental profile of an ecologic brand paper bottle as compared to a plastic bottle or a glass bottle? Well, we've done, so we've done LCAs, which are called life cycle analysis, that compare, say, you know, you have to do it on a per product basis, right? Because not every package is in every category has the same footprint. So if you look at the standard detergent bottle in the market today, right, uh, you know, with a handle and a cap on top, you know what I'm talking about. So if you, you compare that ecologic laundry bottle, which seventh generation here in the United States is one of our largest customers, you're looking at about 59%, I'm sorry, 58% less solid waste, 47% less energy um, to, to make overall than a, the, the standard pack. So, so, you know, it's, it's not, obviously the consumer reacts to the shell and thinks, oh my God, a paper bottle or a hybrid bottle, or, oh my God, they reduce plastic by 70%, uh, or up to 70%, depending on the format. The, the, they really, what they don't see, and Marta, you talked about it, is that emissions and energy, it's, it's not a floating pixie dust of purple in the air that people can tangibly see. So, um, what we bring to the consumer is hopefully a better interaction, better ex- user experience, and a guilt for, less guilt. But what we bring to the CPGs is a better a, a, a package that helps them reduce their overall greenhouse goals. Very good. Yeah. Um, I actually, as I mentioned before, I, I, I first came um, to discover your 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 product when I was. Um, in a grocery store, and I bought that detergent that you mentioned because uh, I was very curious to see what was the construction of of these uh, bottles. So you know, true to form, I emptied it in another container. So obviously, I could use the detergent. I'm not wasting anything, and I just <laughs> like ripped the whole thing apart, cut it out, and you know, I I, I saw very well how it was constructed and how it could be recycled. However, for the average person that is not in packaging, um, it may not be so obvious. So can you explain to us how you can recycle these uh, bottles, these containers, and are they widely, these recycling points, are they, you know, are, is this bottle considered recyclable by the definition of it, which is that at least 60% of the population has access to a collection point of it? Yes. So the, they have to separate, right? It is, it is what has to be done. Um, it is, it is a two part bottle. There's no, no lamination, uh, or sort of embedded plastic in the paper structure. So the paper in itself is recycled paper, recycled cardboard, just like Greg said, 
um, and there's no coatings uh, on, on it. So the paper itself makes it easy to recycle, more efficient to recycle, less expensive to recycle because it doesn't have all this contaminate on it. The, the liner itself on its own is also recyclable. So what's our technology has evolved since that that bottle that you you bought, uh, Marta, at, I don't know, at whatever store it was, is that now the liner, we have a PET, so a number one liner, or we could, we, you could have an HDPE liner. It depends on the barrier properties of the product inside. So in communities, so when it's separated, I would say the vast majority of, 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 of households in America have access to paper recycling. So that shell will absolutely get recycled because it is one of the most prolific, right, Greg? I mean, paper is one of the most oh, yeah. recycled material, the most curbside access. So that paper shell, without a doubt, would be the plastic. Um, it will depend on the community it sits in. Some communities don't have plastic recycling, only paper recycling. So it's it, it would be the same as any other plastic bottle in the market today. Exactly, Julie. Well said. Well, I, I think it's pretty apparent uh, to Marta and me and certainly to our audience that you've done a great job committing ecologic brands to achieving a circular economy and improving our environment. Um, on a personal level, what are some things you do in your everyday life to improve the environment? Uh, well, my mother taught me well. I wash in cold. <laughs> That's good. I wash, I wash everything in cold water. And, and, and I basically, I mean, I, I basically forbid my, my daughters from work, from washing in anything but cold water. So I have to say that's, that's, you know, from a, an impact perspective, I think that's the biggest, you know, it's good for thing that we could all do. Sure. Yes. So looking back in your own personal history, and this is actually a question that touches me very deeply. Uh, what are some of the, um, suggestions, advice that you would give to people like myself, emerging entrepreneurs? Well, you know, um, when you represent something new, you, you're also representing your ability to deliver. And I think that personal integrity is everything. Hmm. Um, it's a, it's, it's, people don't talk about it, but look, if you're going to take people down this journey of change, right, whether it's a new product that you've invented, uh, um, you have to, you, you have to stand by it through thick and thin. Um, so I think that the most important thing for me, if I think about the top things that have sort of made me successful and, and have, and, and what has helped me build my resilience is that, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you build a product, you need people like, you know, seven generation to, 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 to use this product with their product, right? So they're putting a lot of confidence in your ability to deliver. But you're also, you have employees who your employee who are coming down the journey with you. And then you, you raise money, you have partners and investors that have to believe in you. And it's a very, you know, people love to glamorize, um, you know, entrepreneurialism and innovation. And I think it's great that we do, but nobody realizes how challenging it is and how, you know, Greg, you know, you, there's some miserable times, some absolute miserable times. And if you don't have 
a lot of personal integrity and stick with with itness. And always remember that if you give up, this whole chain of people behind you will suffer. Um, it's it becomes more than you. It's about every everything else, and and you have to have that mentality. So. If it wasn't for that, I would have given up a long time ago, quite frankly. I mean, there, there, you know, there have been fantastic moments, some of the best relationships of my life, some of the, my biggest learnings in my life, some of the most glorious successes of my life have happened because of what we've done. But a lot of personal challenges and, and, and uh, you know, second guessing happen all the time. And it, it, so when I look at people, you know, to be part of a team, I, I don't, I don't care much for negativity and I, I don't care much for people who are deconstructionists, you know, love to, to take things apart. Uh, I much prefer to be around people who figure like no matter how bad things are, they figure out how to fix it and they actually kind of love enjoying fixing things. So that, in my opinion, is my biggest learning, right? It's like no matter what, you got to stick with it. You, you committed to it, you don't give up, and uh, be around people who create this energy uh, that will help you succeed, because it's easy to give up. It's really easy, quite frankly. It's more easy now than it's ever been, but uh, we'll never get anywhere if people have that kind of philosophy. philosophy. I, 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 I love hearing you say all of these, especially at the wake of these, I mean, I wouldn't say collapse, but certainly... Silicon Valley fake it to your make it until you make it being questioned, right? Finally. So it is good to hear that personal integrity and, and truthfulness will also get you there, not just cheap lies and and, and that faking it, right? So thank, well, thanks it's, for the honesty. Yeah, well, Greg, I actually I have a question for you because the fake it sure. till you make it thing. That's a good comment, Marta. Because as as a dreamer you know, when you have a dream, to some degree, you think it's possible, but you don't know how you're going to get there. So right. there has to be a little bit of like faking it in the beginning, right? I mean, Greg, don't you agree? Because oh, I like, do, I I do. I I, I think you 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 know, when you're a, a startup or an emerging entrepreneur, um, and Marta, I know you know this certainly uh, with some of your different endeavors, um, you have to have um, a belief. But you have to sort of transfer that belief to others, whether it's investors or consumers or collaborators. And if they can kind of pick up, I think, on your enthusiasm, on your desire, on your drive. And if they don't kind of get that vibe, I, I think it's a tough, it's a tough um, road to succeed. But, you know, getting back to your, your comment, Julie, about quitting, I, I totally subscribe to everything you said, but I do believe though, the further along in your journey, it's harder to quit. Yeah. And, and I, you know, my, my, my tell all success in the long term will be hopefully, uh, Greg, when, um, you know, in 10 years from now, when people start walking down the grocery store, you know, the aisle will be populated <laughs> with a lot more ecologic you know, potentially made with sustainable fiber, but, sure. but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think that the, like this futuristic for the first time, actually, Marta, you know, back to this idea for the first time in 12 years, since I started Ecologic, I I'm really starting to think that, that this is really going to happen. 
um, you know, with the power of J-Bell, this idea now that the, the Walmarts and the Safeways and the, the Targets are going to be, there's going to be more and more of these products that are going to be made in ecologic bottles or packaging. It's, it's really, it's there now. It's really, the there is there. And uh, there's a lot more CPGs sort of, you know, going down that journey with us. And I'm, it's such an exciting time. Uh, it's a time of hope, you know. A lot of people like to hook on to the negatives, <laughs> you know. And, you know, Greg, there's many naysayers, Marta. We, we hear them all day long, you know. But I think it's a really good, interesting time to be innovative in the sustainable packaging space because there's plenty of opportunities if you do it right. Yeah. Well said. Well said, Julie. Well, as we wrap things up today, um, we just wanted to thank you again for your time. It's been great chatting with you. Um, your whole story of starting Ecologic Brands is so inspirational. Um, I I just wish you continued success. And um, thanks for visiting with us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. And I'm really great. It's great to see your podcast sort of grow every day. I mean, you great topics all the time. So, and Marta, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, really pleasure to meet you. And I'm, I'm very inspired by the fact that you're actually a polymer chemist. I had no idea. <laughs> yes, I am. If you ever need to talk about that or some consulting, yes. <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I sense some collaboration here. Well, well thank, thank you, you again, Julie. Julie. Um, thanks for, for all your time, time and continued success. success. That's all. Well, thank you. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us for this month's edition of Pope Nonfiction, the paper and packaging podcast. We look forward to seeing you next month. But in the meantime, if you would like more information, please be sure to visit sustanafiber.com. And don't forget to subscribe and please give us a good rating and a good review. We want to keep bringing this to you and that is the best way that you can help.